Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. And you're listening to Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Changing your world one conversation at a time. The show begins now. If you would like to see this episode along with other exclusive content, make sure you become a patron by going to our Box Number 512 podcast Patreon page where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month. The link to the page is in the show notes for the show. So make sure you go on over there if you would like to see the episode in addition to listening to it. All right, y'all. Back to the show. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Box Number Five Soul Podcast. Grown mm-hmm. Black Trans Woman Talk. Um, it's just me this week. Um, Aeon. Lioness is out of town and she's on vacation getting her life. So um, she's going to be taking a break for this week. But we're going to jump right into the conversation. But before we do, Make sure that if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, that you rate this podcast and you also give us a review. Those reviews help other folks to help find our content um, and it helps drive our engagement. Um, Also, we encourage you to become a supporter on our Patreon page. Uh, But thank you all for supporting us and for continuing to listen to us. We really appreciate it. Now getting into our our main conversation today, I'm very lucky to have a very, very special guest, a very, very busy and a very, very important individual come and stop down to the Box Number 5 Soul podcast. She is a trailblazer in her industry. She's one of the leading Black PR professionals based out of Atlanta. She has our own PR agency. She just she now she's transforming into the entertainment industry. She just a, a couple of weeks ago she just announced her own production company where she's going to produce original content that centers uh, Black trans films, which I'm very excited about. And I'm so fortunate that she took time out of her schedule to come down here so we could have a conversation. The, the lovely, the incredible, the brilliant, the, the boss lady, Miss Chanel Hudson. Welcome, welcome to Box Number 5 Soul Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such, a, it's such an honor to be here. You're honored and lucky about me, but I'm honored and lucky to be in your presence, honey. You're a trailblazer. I see I, I'm in the legal world, you know, I could talk legal for a little bit, but then I get a little <laughs> lost. So I'm, I'm, for me, it's an honor. You know, I, in my industry, I haven't met a trans, a, a black trans person at that in your career field. So it's an honor to meet you and to spend this time with you. Thank you. It's a, it's an honor to meet you as well. I know we, we have interacted on social media, mainly through Facebook, but this is our first time like really having a conversation like yeah. I'm I'm very excited to be sharing space with you so I guess let's get down to the nitty-gritty let's get to the let's get to the nitty-gritty honey so tell the people where you're based out of and tell the people what it is that you do well I am currently based out of Atlanta Georgia my clients live all around the world 
Um, I own a public relations and brand marketing agency. And I've kind of transitioned into like talent management. And it's one of those things that you just, you're not expecting, but you're good at it. And if the coin is there, you don't right. turn down a coin if you don't have to sacrifice your soul for it. You just, you know, you just kind of fall into it. And, um, you know, we basically specialize on brand structure, talent mentality. A lot of people don't understand the psychology of, you know, a lot of people don't understand the psychology of public relations. A lot of people think it is a decoy or some type of fantasy thing that happens or a magical thing that happens. But in all actuality, the sacrifices that are put into this career um, for the average person is, you know, very scrupulous. For me being Black, for me being <laughs> trans, it's 10 times as scrupulous. So I have just established a method of my own and it works. I am happy. Um, I have no complaints. I don't live in negative energy. I have the right to say no to anybody who reaches out to me and they all reach out to me. It yeah. is my right to say, no, I don't want to work with you or no, let me refer you to somebody else. So having that power and being an agency owner is very cathartic for me because a lot of the times people own agencies and people work in a particular space, they don't have the power. Um, they just kind of stick to a routine that you know, pays the bills. And I did not become an entrepreneur to stick to a routine and pay the bills. I, got, I became an entrepreneur to have a voice of power within a marginalized community of professionals in which I don't see many girls or guys for that matter that look like me. So that's essentially. So, so what exactly to the lay person, like what is public relations like? clearly you attract clients and you have clientele. What do you do for your clients, for somebody that doesn't know what PR is? So on a, a elementary school level of public relations, it is basically the art of connecting the public with a figure or a brand or a business and maintaining and curating a relationship. Hence the word public relations. A lot of people think that PR is a word like, you don't know, need a PR there's no right, such thing right. as needing a public relations. You need a publicist, which are the in, which are the engineers within the PR realm that structure whatever whatever game plan or whatever strategy is needed to execute deliverables that clients are paying you for. So at the elementary school level, I always tell people this about PR. It's a lifestyle luxury accommodation. It is not a necessity. And you know, for the basic people that want to understand public relations, it's not something that you can learn. It's something that you have to do. And it's something that you have to get better at over time. Um, you can't read a book and say, I know how to do PR. Um, you may know the basis of what it is, but if you don't have those long-term relationships, if you don't have those direct contacts, if you don't have those resources, your bond is just as good as dirt. It's gonna crumble. And it's going to create a reputation of how people perceive you in the industry. So it's, 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 it is a very basic thing when you read about it. Public relations. It's connecting the public and building relationships with brands and figures and those type of people. But it's an art. It's a mental art. And once you discover that mental art, you will be great. 
but it takes you some time to discover that mental art. So, you know, that's why they so call are you, So are you at liberty to like tell us like, you don't have to name everybody. You know, some folks are confidential, that's fine. Who are like some of the people that you have represented in the past or? So my clientele consists of private sector and public sector. I started off in the private sector and I was a fixer. I would work with basketball wives, baseball wives, football wives. You know, their husbands are cheating on them or their husbands are, you know, you know, stepping out. They need to set up surveillance. They need to, you know, they need to do all these things to prove a point to themselves. I've sat through over 10 abortions of jump offs, mistresses who've got pregnant by famous people with families who have morality clauses in their contracts. And, you know, I used to be sent in to basically convince a person that money was better than having another man's baby. And it was a morally corrupt, but as a trans woman, we get treated like dirt. So we're just like, look, right. this, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, but some of my previous clients, so how I started off is I started off at a major PR agency. Shout out to the 135th Street Agency. They're now 135. Saptosa Foster, Shante Bacon. They were like my Olivia Popes of PR when I came into the world. They were the two Black women on top. And I mean, my first six months, I was managing accounts for Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, David Tutera, My Fair Wedding. Um, Ayala Van Zandt fixed my life, the Braxtons, all of those accounts were at my desk. And then I would transfer over to work on movies, the Butler, Lee Daniels, the Butler with Oprah, um, Fruitvale Station, the Avengers, and they, you know, basically, and there's a lot more, I'm just naming what I could remember off the top of my head, but there were basically, we would target the Black actors and actresses in these mainstream films, and we would basically capitalize on their publicity as being a part of the film because as most people don't know when you are a part of a, a big box office film or you're a big part of a big studio film a lot of the underlying black actors and actresses who already are established do not get the same level of publicity as some of the lead actors and actresses that are established especially if you have a predominantly caucasian cast of people if you have six Caucasian actors and actresses and two African-American actors and actresses that don't play such a significant role, our job was to basically find those opportunities within the urban mainstream markets and plug them, and which was a, a wide success. I mean, we used to get impressions. I used to sit and pull screenshots from Twitter, impressions, and just to see at the grassroots level that accomplishment. For me, it was just... I. I was, I couldn't believe I could do anything. And then you're under the direction of two people who are well-respected. I'm walking into the studios of Southside Studios in Atlanta owned by Jermaine Dupree. That's where our offices were Monday through Friday. At any given day, you could see Mariah Carey in there sipping champagne and lingerie, or you would see Usher in the boom boom room, or you see the brat, you know, you know, on the phone handling business or Grammy award-winning producer, Brian Michael Cox. And then you see every plaque on the wall. So. You walk in and you're inspired instantly, but then the pressure of working with Hollywood's Black elite really does kick in. And, you know, the past is what the past is. We could get to the past in a minute, but for the most part, you know, those are some of the accounts that I had agency level. When I started my own agency, mm -hmm. I was a non-competing firm, meaning I'm not competing with any other publicist 
in this realm because I know being a black trans woman, I would have to build the table, buy the wood, build the chairs and put the players at my table because there was no table preset for me. Like a lot of other people have with their career, gay men, black gay men. Oh my God, Ro roadmap, yellow brick road. Uh, uh, women, yellow brick road, white, black. When it comes to me being trans, black, black. And then I'm also Jamaican. And then I'm also outspoken. I have a big personality. There's no, there's, there's no table. And it was very clear that there wasn't a table for me when I was at one, the agency level because of some of the things that I incurred there but at the hands of black women. So for me, it was like, wait, no, nobody's gonna believe this. Like no one's gonna support what I'm doing. And um, the first, you know, two years, clients were very afraid of having trans representation. And that kind of caused me to go into this whole spiral of, I used to draw a fake beard on my face with synthetic hair. And I used to put a binder on to cover up my chest. And I used to, you know, make sure my voice was a little bit deeper and I would represent myself as a gay man because there were no opportunities. When I did that, Mama D, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, Dr. Heavenly, Married to Medicine, Lisa Nicole Cloud, Married to Medicine, Tracy, Tracy Steele, DJ Tracy Steele, Love and Hip Hop, all the major people on TV at this time. It was like instant, instant. And it was like, almost like a, a moment for me, like, wait, are my clients going to be these celebrities who only want to work with me because they think that all gay boys have connections? Or would they really want to work with me if they knew that I was a trans woman up underneath all this uh, regalia? Let's, so so, let, so look, you took me right to the point I wanted to make. So I'm assuming that once you started at the agency level, you hadn't physically transitioned yet? So let's get into the transition. So, okay. you know, people, so I want to give the backstory just so people are clear. Okay. My physical transition started at 13 years old to the point where I did not go through puberty. I don't, I didn't, my Adam's apple didn't even form. And I come from a universally abusive household. And when I say universally abusive, it is physical, it's verbal, it's mental, it's emotional. It's all of the abuses that you could think that a child goes through in a household. And my parents are in the church. My dad's a pastor, very prominent. My mom's uh, evangelist, very prominent. We live in a very prominent area amongst the wealthiest of Caucasian people. So having all of those universally abusive uh, triggers growing up, my transition was never something I could be proud of or speak out loud. I actually started taking black market hormones because that was offered to me around the same time crack cocaine was offered to me. Because of my turmoil that I went through, I had a lot of outlets outside that were some negative, some positive. And I would feed to those outlets because even though they were negative, they treated me better than how I was being treated at home. So I started on the black market silicone without no prescription, no idea of what I was doing when I was 13. Oh, and wow. by the time I got to Morehouse, I, you know, I had a very scary experience at Morehouse where I passed out in one of my classes and had to get all types of stuff done because my estrogen level was so astronomically high that my body would not produce testosterone, which is not a healthy thing. So right. 
blood clots started to form as a result of my of that I have blood clots now as a result of that. So there are certain things that happen. I gained weight in all the wrong areas. You know, you're supposed to gain fat when you're on estrogen instead of it going to body parts that went to my stomach because at that age, my body wasn't developed. So it didn't know where to go. It didn't know what to do. So I have pictures of me and videos of me when I used to be like flat, like I didn't have a stomach. You know, even when I came to Morehouse, I wasn't as big, you know, and it was a lesson learned, but it was also very negligent of me to think that I was responsible for something that no one else could control, which is me trying to run from the pain that I was going through at home. And I desperately wanted to die when I was that age. When I say desperately, I mean, well over 20 suicide attempts, well over. Wow. Desperately wanted to die. And I wanted to die so I could come back and be free. Mm. So back then, everything I did was a sin, according to the Bible. Everything I did was a sin. Secular music is a sin. Uh, Having braids in your hair is a sin. Any type of ear piercing before a certain age or before is a sin. Everything. So just imagine sexuality and gender. It's not even a sin. It's almost like an abandonment. And that's exactly what my family did when they dropped me off at Morehouse. It was like, goodbye and good luck. Because they knew when I got to Morehouse, that was it. They knew for me, that was it because I had lived in New York two years prior to going to Morehouse. Like after I graduated high school early. So I decided to go to New York and explore whatever options were available. And that's the most freeing I felt. I was 16 and I had an apartment. I worked at Target. I managed to pay my bills. I managed to do a lot of things at 16 years old, but I was able to wake up every single day and live in my truth. Although I, I, I still was involved in the church and my grandmother, my cousins, my aunts, they all lived nearby in Brooklyn. So for me, it was like, all right, you can do this Monday through Friday, but come Saturday, Sunday, you're going to have to, you know, go back into a nigga. Well, I'm sorry, excuse my French, but you know, tone back down into a boy. You mm-hmm. have to, t- you know, you're going to have to go back to that. So essentially speaking, it was definitely a gender dysphoria at its finest. Um, and that even today causes severe anxiety, severe depression. I still have PTSD. I'm still suffering from a lot of things that no one could help me with when I was going through stuff and still trying to overcome the universal abuse that I had to go through at home. So it, it, it it's definitely been like one of those things where people used to think I was a guy because I made them believe that I was a guy. Mm-hmm. But deep down inside, underneath my clothes, underneath my binder, underneath my fake voice was a trans woman. I just lived on a down low. And, you know, it kind of helped me understand the, the mentality of down low men. And, you know, to, you know, essentially end up with one to the point where he's so free and open with himself, you know, because I've been through that. I know what it's like to live in fear and be on the down low. I don't have the same correlation as a lot of these other girls who live free titties, but boom, boom, do, do, do. I don't have all of that. And I'm happy that I don't because I would rather be in this position of my life now than being allowed in the position that I see these girls in today. So I realized it was a blessing to say the least. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. It was very vulnerable on your part. And I'm just happy that you are still here. Yeah, and that I am I'm too. just happy that you, you're still here. 
I want to go back. So take me back to the point when you decided to to invite to live in your truth as a woman and that you no longer wanted to draw on the beer or you no longer wanted to play that game and when you took when you took that risk to be yourself but still stand for <laughs> your career was that at the agency or was that once you branched off and did your own thing and and then tell me about what what got you to the point where you were just like I can't do this anymore and I'm willing to risk my clients to live in my truth. Okay, so I'm about to share with you some celebrity industry stories. So make sure you drop a bomb, drop a bomb, drop okay. a bomb. You can take it to the edit. This is where this is this is where the bomb drops. Okay. It drops. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the truth and shame the devil and the truth involves some crazy ass celebrities. So I'ma tell it. Okay. I'ma tell it. I'ma tell it. Give your podcast an exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, uh, let's go back to the agency. I love my the people that helped grew me. I love 135th. I call her my fairy PR godmother. But the same person that I call my fairy PR godmother is the same person that told me that I would never ever exist in the space of public relations being a drag woman. And she took me to Casual Mail XL by Cumberland Mall and bought me two suits because I couldn't afford to wear anything that they wanted me to wear because all my stuff was girly when I got to 135th. It was tight fitting. It was girly. Honey, she took me and bought me two man suits and told me, this is what you're going to wear when we do the first Think Like a Man. I did the Think Like a Man HBCU tour. When I brought all the cast back to the school, we did Morehouse, Spelman, we did Clark, we did FAU, we, I'm sorry, FAMU, we did all the black schools, Howard, and North Carolina A&C. We did everything. And I just remember that day I met Gabrielle Union and I had on a white polo shirt. I don't took my jacket off because it was hot and it was summertime. I had on a white polo shirt. I had on some, the pants that she had bought me because it was two days. So I'm like, okay, let me save the suit for the night. And let me put on this little ugly, you know, it was hideous. Oh, it was so horrible. Um, I had my binder on, so I kind of looked like a stud. So I was okay with that because I was still passing as a woman. I didn't have no facial hair at that point. I had a weave. I had a, I get my toe in. So I had my hair back, put, 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 put it up on the tub. was blonde, remember everything, and my earrings. <laughs> and I remember it was, I was sickening. I was, I couldn't wear my makeup because they toned my makeup down. So... Literally, all I had on was foundation, light foundation, a little bit of powder, and some Caramex. No contour, no, just basic funeral casket makeup. Gabrielle Union says to me, she's walking, we're walking through Kilgore, and she grabs a burger from one of the guys, and she takes a bite of his burger, and the guy's like, Yo, what the hell? Like, he's surprised that a female just took his burger. But the other dude was like, that's Gabrielle Union. And then she was, she tapped me and she said, watch us make the boys go crazy. And she was like, hey, how you doing? You single? And the boy, his mouth was just, and he, he recognized me. Because going back to Morehouse, child, them folks treat me like I'm somebody's Jennifer Lopez. For real, for real. <laughs> so it, it's real. They knew who I was. Because of what I had done from, you know, from the whole article of Mean Girls, the Morehouse saga. So they were kind of looking at me crazy. But they was like, why is this fool with? So she was, so she grabbed me 
And she was like, let's go raise hell. And then in between all of like transporting her back to the hotel, she said to me, one day you're going to be free and I cannot wait to see what you become. And I don't know if she was a little tipsy because they was all doing their little drinks in the car. Right. I don't know if she hadn't got no sleep. But back there, I was like, girl, this is all I'm going to be. I remember saying that to myself, girl, this is all I'm going to be. Me coming back to Morehouse and standing in front of my peers after I was basically booed off the campus and everybody cheering for me and chanting my name out there with all them Kevin Hart and uh, Gabrielle Union and Regina King and all the A-listers of Black Hollywood. That moment was it for me. If nothing else had happened at that moment in my life, that was it for me. And it was just like a moment that I would never forget. Fast forward to when I had my own agency, um, you know, 135th, to be honest with you, God placed me there for a reason. I had applied to CNN. I applied to all the major companies, went on interviews, and everything was great until the face-to-face. And it was always a disconnect. And, you know, there, I, I never forget a lady at CNN, one of the senior HR people, her assistant said to me that, um, we're just not used to seeing people like you around here. So it's like, we have to, you know, basically get some type of approval. And I'm like, approval for what? I'm a human. I have the credentials. I have the resume. What What do you need? Um, she said, uh, code of conduct. Are basically how people will feel and not wanting to create an uncomfortable work environment. So I'm like, do you not think I'm uncomfortable in this moment that you're telling me this now? But whatever. I took my L's like a gangster. All right, I'm a Jamaican. I grew up with a crazy <laughs> daddy who used to beat me. I used to run, run, run like Harriet didn't harry you, baby. I was running. So for me, it was like, all right, that's it. I'm not going to sit here and, and prove myself to you. You don't want to hire me and see how brilliant I am? Fine. Just kept moving, moving, moving. Except Felsa Foster went to spell me. So that was my saving grace. And she knew about who I was because she was one of the publicists that was referred to me when the Mean Girls of Morehouse came out because that was supposed to be an international moment. But we could talk about the, 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 the oracle of that collective was just not an international movement, girl. It was a mess. So for me, it was always like, a, all right, so I, you know, I'm going to go into my own agency and I'm going to be free. And when I had my agency, I did some good stuff. I produced a major concert at, for T.I., with Shawty Lowe. That was one of Shawty Lowe's final performances. Shawty Lowe. Tiffany Fox was one of my clients at the time. Um, uh, um, Ray Shremin. You know, when they first came out, they was popping. DC Young Fly hosted. So I shut Morehouse down with the Return of the King concert. And that was me. So I was proud to go back to Morehouse and do a major concert in the auditorium for their campus. I was. I was so proud of that. So my agency came with a lot of stuff, but I represented myself as a man. And I mean, I just, at the time I was like, I want to get things done. You know, I, I would go home at night, wipe it off. And I would look in the mirror and there'll be a woman. I would wake up the next morning, go in the mirror and have to put back on a man. So I wasn't living my life at home like a boy. People at home call me Chanel. People in public call me Philip. I didn't want nobody calling me Chanel in public. I was like, uh-uh. You ain't finna mess up my little cover, what I got going on. I know what my, I know what my plan is. What really messed it up for me is in 2016, I appeared on Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was representing Mama D, who owes me $25,000, by the way. 
Oh. Oh. Drop a bomb on that bitch. She <laughs> owes me 25. Mama D, if you hear this, give me my coin. You, you owe me the money, girl. In that order would not be any type of order had it not be for me. But Mama D, give me my money. I know you ain't got nothing to give me, but damn, you could have gave me something. Um, it wasn't until I shout out to Mama D, her crazy ass, but she owed me money. But shout out to her anyway. She um, because she's hilarious in real life and on TV. She really is. I believe it. I believe it. I, believe I had it. the best laugh. I had the best laugh with that lady. I really I traveled the world. I booked her in places that she had never been before, all the gay clubs, every last one. And she, <laughs> and she played me. She did play me. And, you know, we'll get to how my career evolved and all of that. But it wasn't until I did Love and Hip Hop. She said, hey, we're having a panel discussion at, you know, about trans, whatever. This is the season that D. Smith was on, the Love and Hip Hop. And there was a bullying panel where they got into this big altercation and Tammy stood up. But before that, they basically wanted me to speak because the producers had known who I was. I was behind the scenes. And I was like, girl, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. And Septosa Foster was actually creating audience members. She would basically book the audience for all the scenes on Love and Hip Hop because Mona Me was one of my accounts. So we represented Mona and all of the Love and Hip Hop franchises, all of Mona's new shows, the new Atlanta, the premiere for that. That was us. So she um she essentially <laughs> she essentially put me on TV. And the guy came and they asked me what my name was. And the person next to me was like, oh, this is Philip Hudson. That was the name of the artist. This is Philip Hudson. And I was like, God damn, I was going to say Chanel. Mind you, I had a full beard. A full beard. I had a little kinky twist. I looked horrible. I had a little kinky twist. I had a little headband on, little doobie wrap wrapped up. I had on a dress, a black tight-fitted form dress. And I had on a jacket on top, like, you know. And I go up there to speak and I'm like, you know, I'm a transgender person. I didn't say transgender woman. I chose my words carefully. I said, I'm a transgender person. And I started talking about the bullying. Somebody took a screenshot of that. A trans woman, rest her soul, she has passed on to be with God. Um, but I'm not going to say her name because it, it, it will be tacky for me to say her name and she's not here anymore. But it was a trans, it was a trans girl, a popular trans girl in the community who took a screenshot of me on television and under the screenshot caption, this is not transgender. And it went viral. It got over 39,000 shares on Facebook. And I mean, that was like reliving the Mean Girls of Morehouse times four, except I was the butt of the joke. The Mean Girls of Morehouse, I really wasn't the butt of the joke, although I was in a lot of different ways. This it just kind of put the nail in the coffin. And I was depressed. I fell into a deep depression. Only because as a trans woman, you don't expect the transition to be picked on by trans women, even if they're prettier than you, even if they're more passable than you, you don't expect it. You expect there to be an unspoken sisterhood that automatically connects you with this person. Even if you don't get along with this person, they have to have a reason not to get along with you. I had never met this trans person, this trans woman before. That broke me. I think within the next year, I had fired all of the clients that I had. Lisa Nicole Cloud,
from Married to Medicine. There were rumors about her husband being gay. I made all those rumors clear up. All her structure of her storyline, everything, all of that, the image, the perception, the press that she received, that was all me. And she was paying me what I was not worth and paying somebody else triple my salary that wasn't even doing 1% of what I was doing because she's a woman and I'm a trans woman. And then she misgendered me purposely in front of a group of individuals in Hollywood right after LA Fashion Week. And it's the same group of individuals that actually hired me to come back and do the Emmys the next year, where I raised $150,000 for the daytime Emmys 2017 gift branding suite, which is a major, major accomplishment. So for me, that was like, all right, so huh, when one door gets shut in your face, 20 more open. So for me, it was like a, a period between doing the Emmys. Because when I went to the Emmys, I very much looked like an out of place queer person. I could be a woman, but I could be a boy. I was very confused. And when I got to the Emmys, I realized that no one cared about my gender. And all the Caucasian people, they flocked to me, like David Arquette and Nick Lachey. They're like talking to me, telling me stories about their, like, I'll never forget David Arquette shared a story with me about my value on this carpet to him because he lost his sister who was trans to suicide. And I guess, she didn't have any support. So he literally took the time and spoke to me for about 20 minutes on the daytime Emmy's red carpet. And I was just like, why are you like, why, why me? He was like, your energy is so special. Don't you ever lose that for anybody? And I remember in that moment, I was looking around thinking I could have wore a whole dress. I could have had a bust down the middle. I really could have came and been myself and I would have still been accepted either way. Cause I looked horrible. I didn't have on the right shaper. My fat was going over to Africa. It just wasn't giving me what I wanted it to give me. So I was very like trapped up in this idea of what I should look like. And still these people took the time to come over there, have a conversation. And I think when I got back from the Emmys, I made about $30,000 just from the Emmys. Just that weekend that I was in LA, I made $30,000. And I remember I came back to Georgia and I just said, I, I, I refuse. Bitch, I'm changing my name on everything. And I, I just, it was like a click. I'll, I'm changing it all. The, change it all. Ch like, and I changed it. I made a statement. I changed my pictures. I took down every picture that I had posted in the last two years. It was a lot of pictures of me looking like a dude. Because I mean, I was a cute dude. And to be honest with you, back then, I met my fiance when I was going back and forth in the Trojan Horror. So he thought it was funny that I would have a beard on my face and then come home and be chilling with him, be a whole woman. He was like, that's kind of like, I don't know. It was kind of weird for him because my fiance was identified as heterosexual. So it was like, but he saw my heart and he knew my intention. And I'm very good at explaining why I'm doing something. I'm not just going to do stuff because I'm crazy. So I explained to him, he said, are you doing what you got to do so you don't have to go out here and sell your body? I respect that. I was like, oh, well, okay. So... I think it was something that just clicked at me when I came back from the Emmys. And I was like, Chanel, you're going to get an Emmy as a Black trans woman. So why the fuck are you trying to proceed this image of whatever it is? Shake that all loose. And I was like, you're right. And it was, I went to the club. I'll never forget. It was after my 25th birthday. Um, I went to the club and 
girl, I don't remember what happened when I went to the club or I don't remember what happened when I went, but I just remember I broke out and I was just like, bitch, titties. Was, I just looked like all that mm-hmm. person. It was like, bitch, they, people had was looking at me like, who who is this new girl? But people don't remember that back in the day when I was at Morehouse, I used to be around all the drag queens because I was the show director at Club 708, the ATL Purple Dragon. My gay grandmother is Trinity K. Bonet. She's also one of my clients as well. So I've okay. been around Trinity. I've been around Trinity since, Trinity was a, a, a I'm, and I'm older than Trinity. So I've been around Trinity since Trinity was using Clown White to do her highlight. Like that's how far <laughs> we go back. And then, you know, one of my former best friends, we're not friends anymore, but one of my former best friends also did drag. And I was kind of like my gay mother. We've lived together, did all that stuff. So I was around the community, but they always used to tell me, stay away from this. Because you are, edu- they used to always say, you educated smart fish. People used to bring stuff to the club for me to look at for them. A lot of them didn't have the literacy to read a contract or understand stuff. So they would be like, Miss Fish, could you read this? And this is back when I didn't wear makeup. This is back when I was just like in school. But I, I kind of gave off like a nerdy school girl. I, nobody t- called me a dude. Everybody embraced me at the, in the gay world. It was always Chanel. Miss Chanel, nobody called me by my name that I was born with. So I was like, you know what? Yeah. So when I popped out, certain girls was like, bitch, finally, girl, where you been? <laughs> and then other girls was like, oh, now she want to transition. I'm like, no, ma'am, I've been with my transition. Don't this play is just, yourself. This is just what I'm, my journey looks like for me. <laughs> this is, this is just, y'all, you're just meeting me today. Right. I, but girl, I'm a loner too, so they wouldn't have met me anyway. So it was one of those nights where I just remember everybody just telling me like, this is your purpose. This is where you need to be. Look at you, you glowing. It was people touching my boobs and just telling me like, this is bad. I'm just like, y'all don't hype me up because in my mind, I have ugly syndrome. I don't think I'm pretty. I don't think I'm beautiful. I don't think anything that is pleasurable about myself because Trans women have to deal with the idea of men looking at us as fantasies. In 2012, I was raped. Can't talk about it because I found a non-disclosure. But I, I was raped in 2012. And after that, I didn't give a fuck about being a pretty trans girl no more. And that was my fourth time in life being raped. Didn't say nothing because as a big black trans woman, the first thing a person is to say is, who going to rape your ugly, fat, black ass? And that, and that was said when I actually told certain people that right. I was raped. So it just it just perplexes me to just be like, girl, you get over it. You're fine. So I would, after that, I turned into a tomboy because I grew up with a tomboy mom. So I'm used to just seeing women comfortable in they whatever clothes, your sweats. Like I love women who put on sweats and a jacket and they sneakers and be like with their baseball caps. Like, what's up? I'm ready for the day. You know, a trans girl, it'd be a lot difficult. Like, you got to make sure, you know. But So, you know, it's a difference. But I live for that naturalness. So I was like, no more heels for me. Five-inch hooker heels burnt all my heels, burnt every dress I had. And I just said, I'm going to focus on my career. And my sexuality and my gender have nothing to do with that. I said, if I could get a career and gain a name for myself, I can be whoever I want to be without reservation. And that's what I did. And maybe like in 2017, I just stopped caring. I don't know what it was. It was like a click in my head. And it took a while because people kept calling me Philip. 
And I kept saying to them, do I look like a boy to you? And they would say to me, well, you could just be a pretty boy. I was like, I have boobs that were grown. Were these clients saying that to you or mentors? Oh, girl, I lost, I lost a lot of clients in the private sector when I changed my name. Do you, can I ask you this? Do you have people that you lost try, like in 2017 trying to come back now because now the trans visibility thing and the, the trend, it's the new wave now. And how I, have you responded I, to that? I will open the message and delete it. And I want them to see that I deleted it. So that's how I respond to it. I delete the message. They left an imprint on me that added to my depression and my anxiety that they could never reverse. So I would be crazy to allow those people the opportunity or the privilege to try to hurt me again. So I read it, especially if it's on a direct message or a messenger, because they'll try to creep up like, oh, I'm so proud and I knew you were going to be something great. Oh, honey, my client roster right now is Casey Anthony, uh, members of the Surviving R. Kelly saga, Silento, who's in jail for murder. You really think I need your congratulations? Honey, all my, all my clients right now are in the high profile crime sector or human trafficking sector. And I'm still a black trans woman. I'm still the same person that you misgendered and said all this other stuff. Now, now the voice is here to say, because back then I would allow people to misgender me, even if I corrected them. Because I still had a sense of, I'm a trans person. It's a lot of women with beards. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of women who have choice of wearing beards. So you're going to tell me me having a fake beard? No, this is my mask. But don't say that my fake beard is a representation of who I am, because you don't know. One day I got on live, and I literally wiped the beard off and showed people how I did it. The video went viral. It had over... 600,000 views. I don't know. It's, I, it should still be up. I don't know if I deleted it or what. It was kind of embarrassing, but it was also like, bitch, you tried it. Then I did another video. I think it got, that, this video got 16,000 views. The other video got shared so many times. This video, people was just like saying again, like, bitch, you, you brain fucked me. I'm I am messed up in the brain right now. And I would tell them like, y'all don't know my story. So y'all only see what I show y'all. She don't know the truth behind it. And sometimes I don't even want to sit out and explain. Sometimes you can't explain people to, to people the truth. You devalue yourself when you have to explain yourself to people who do not matter. So it was one of those things where I was like, girl, you're not going to stop me from being who I am destined to be. And within like the first two years of not caring anymore, and I wouldn't even say I had to detransition or I. I'm not gonna say that I did that. Cause I, I didn't I don't feel like I detransitioned. I actually fell in love during the worst part of my life. And it's why I'm still in love today, even through the worst trials and tribulations of dating a down low man in a community. You deal with a lot. He's not down low anymore and we're still together. So it's kind of like there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you just have to be willing to get through the tunnel. So it was, you know, to go back to your question, it was a click. I don't know what it was. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was the weed that I was smoking that night. I don't know. Something, <laughs> just, something just clicked and I just, I decided not to care anymore. 
So before we get into, into your personal, because I definitely want you to talk about um, your your love and your personal life. Mm-hmm. You just announced, I believe last month, that you're in the beginning processes of casting for the show. So can you tell the people about what the show is about, what this project is about and why you want to do it? Yes. Yeah, so I have been on so many TV and film sets over the last decade. It's coming up to a decade of me being in the entertainment. February will be a decade since I have been in the entertainment, PR, marketing, branding space. I have always been in the television and film space. I, you know, have casted for Millionaire Matchmaker on WeTV. I've casted several episodes for Yana Van Zandt's Fix My Life when I was working with Pinky Cole. Um, after I met Pinky Cole after, but before I worked with Pinky Cole, I was working with 135th, working on casting for them. Then I went back to help Pinky Cole, who's now the CEO of Slutty Vegan, to kind of help her with finding options for casting. And then on top of that, I mean, I have, I would say over 200 sets. The people at the sets just know me. That's Miss Hudson. And Miss Hudson means business. And a lot of sets used to call me in the structure the, the publicity for a movie or for a film. And I was like, I, I, okay, <laughs> easy check. All right, I ain't gotta. And the people on the set were just always lovely to me. They're all union people. One thing about the union is they're going to protect their union. So me being an outsider was like, is she a good apple or bad apple? Everybody loved me. So I was like, great. So it was natural to me to, you know, I came to a conclusion that I don't want to work in the capacity of public relations anymore. I told myself that I was going to give myself 10 years um, and it's a decade. PR was never really my passion. PR was my saving grace from God. I prayed and asked God to send me something that would stop making me think about myself so much and wanting to go through the thoughts of suicide. And the next week is when I met Saptosa Foster. She was on an airplane going to the Bahamas or Dubai, one of those. And she told me there was an opening at her agency. And that's how I kind of started. So PR was my saving grace. That's why I say you can't tell me that God is not real. That was a coincidence. I never went looking for anything. God said, this is where you're going to, this is what you're going to do. You're not going to sit and feel sorry for yourself. You're going to go and you're going to help people. And I helped a lot of celebrities behind the scenes. A lot of them whose dirt would have damaged their career and never got credit for it. But I never wanted credit for it because I wasn't in it for the credit. Um, as I started to move forward, I said, hmm, what do I like to do? Because now I'm in a, I'm getting married. Um, my wedding is, I don't know if I could officially say, I'm not going to officially say it. I'll tell you offline so okay. you can get excited, so you can get excited. But yeah, the wedding is, the, my wedding is going to be a reality example of Pose when Angel got married. It's going to be massive. Um, it's going to normalize trans love. It's going to show and provoke the Christians that bitches like me exist and we can have love, we can have families, we right. can have straight men, all of that. So in going to, I said, what do I want to do? I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories. Everybody been telling me to be on TV. You need to be on television. You're funny. You're goofy. I'm like, girl, I don't want to do TV because them hoax is crazy and I don't want to think I'm crazy. But my friend came and she said, Chanel, you need to do something where you're comfortable telling stories. I'm like, girl, what? And I literally was like, this is before I caught COVID and before I had too many strokes a few months ago. And I was like, girl, no, I'm a stick in PR, girl. The money's great. 
the inquiries are coming in, the clients are great, I'm happy. So, you know, me being a tourist, I was like, girl, I'm not really happy, but I can't tell her that. So I caught COVID and almost died. And I said, Lord, if you let me recover from this, I'm going to follow everything on the list that I created when I had the COVID. And one of the first on that list is start a new business. Cause I didn't want to do PR no more. Hell, it could have been went to selling eggs um, or, you know, selling cartons. I don't know. I would have, I would have turned into a drug dealer. Right. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, in my mind, it was like, what do you want to do? So then after I got too many strokes, that's when everything was just like, I had time to sit down and watch all these TV shows. I saw what was on television. I didn't relate to a lot of the stuff that was on TV. I don't like how trans messaging is structured on television. I don't like that it's one noted on TV. Not everybody can act, not everybody can sing. You know, some people are just regular people who need to tell their story because it's therapy for them. So I sat and I said, I'm going to open up a production company and I'm going to call it Chanel Hudson Entertainment Group. Then I'm going to open up another production company and call it She Her Production. The She Her the production group is all of my properties. The She Her Productions is the production company that will be producing the properties. A lot of people were questioning, especially my colleagues in PR, when I told them I was, you know, taking a step down. Oh, girl, you know how hard it is. Oh, girl, it's going to be difficult. Like, what was my PR career? <laughs> a walk in the park? <laughs> like, okay, it's going to be difficult. Chanel, you're, you're going in uncharted territory, da 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 Within a matter of, I guess, maybe launching my production company and not even announcing it, but just launching it and people that knowing me, I get a phone call from Casey Anthony. I don't know if everybody knows who Casey Anthony is. She is the most famously acquitted um, murder trial participant that has been since OJ. She had a case back in Florida where she was accused of um, you know, murdering her daughter and she was, you know, went to trial and she was executed in the public court of opinion, but in the, in the, in the jury and the executioner of law or the laws of, of the land, she was acquitted. She was found not guilty and everyone hated her. She was the most hated, the most infamously hated mother in America. And <laughs> I met her performing a wedding ceremony for my childhood best friend who happened to be Caucasian, by the way. Um, and we spent time and I really got the chance to know her. This was like 2018. I said, well, look, whenever you ready to tell your story, give me a call. And I say that to everybody. That's uh -huh. like, you tell people that like, girl, whenever you ready, girl, I got you. She called me at the end of the year. She's like, I want to write a book. I'm like, a book? I'm like, girl, you need to turn, girl, book? I ain't going to read no book, girl. We need to see what happened. A book, so... <laughs> Literally within like two weeks, I had I had orchestrated the team that was going to essentially produce the Casey Anthony story, Ebony Porter Ike and Tamara Simmons. It was a press release. It was put out there. I'll be a consulting producer. And that one nugget is going to open up the doors and the gateway for me to go above and beyond. I have agents reaching out to me now trying to represent me. I have uh, literary agents wanting me to write my book. I'm like, girl. Y'all a little bit too late for that. I already got some ghetto people over here that I'm working with. I like the ghetto people that I'm working with. But y'all a little bit too late. <laughs> you know, so 
it goes back to say, I don't know, I have favor. I really have favor. It's really favor. I was not expecting Casey Anthony to call. That's a, that this is going to be the biggest documentary since OJ. And she's telling her story. For me, that is power from a voice. And for me to even have constructed the team and to be in the position now to create life-changing financial blessings for me and my family to be able to elevate and grow. Girl, that was just the icing on top of the cake, girl. The cherry on top was when they found out I had all the shows that I had built for the trans community. Oh, yes, honey. You talk about the girls need shows. The girls want to be on TV. Well, here's your chance. I had an idea for a trans wives club. And I went and I found five cis trans couples after, you know, maybe doing a casting of 5,000 black trans women. Girl, I got six. Six. And then one of them is divorced. I'm like, what? Y'all ain't supposed to do what? What is going on? So I just started like thinking, thinking, how does this work? How does this work? No, no, no. Okay, we could go on a retreat. No, no. I came up with the formula. I came up with the format. I developed it. I wrote it. And I pitched it. I've now pitched it to 13 networks. Three of them are interested in developing. And that is for the show with the couples and the trans and the cis. And I have some interesting stories I'm excited there. about, I'm excited to watch all of this girl. Yeah, that, so <laughs> that one is great for me. Then I said, nah, you know what? And you know this what? The, the haters are going to drive that one because you know they don't think that we are married and we live regular no. lives and then the men, that their men love us or just that men love us. So that the the hate train is gonna oh i mean listen when you when you date and settle down with a cis man i dealt with that i mean i had baby mama issues i don't been dragged by females i mean all types of shit and i'm like well girl he's still here he ain't cheating i know everything why why are you so mad he's still here it was different you know what I'm saying? Like, no, he's not going anywhere. And I could say that confidently. He's not going anywhere. Like, I have, you know, I have found real rare love. This is my, I'm with my soulmate. Regardless of his past, I have a past too. I was once a hoe, never a prostitute, but I was once a hoe. You know, everybody has their whole thing. Right, right. You know, so everybody goes through that. I just know I didn't want to be a hoe my whole life. I wanted to be a wife. And I know that my hoe, Ex- expectations came to a limit for me and that me saying how to is not necessarily being promiscuous it's more like you're single you want to have sex you know you meet somebody who want to have sex too and it's great girl you're gonna do it you're not gonna think like oh this is gonna be my husband so the girls are gonna hate the one they're really gonna hate on is the show that I have created for the single trans girls. And I have about... I'm, I might have to pull out an application to well, do because I'm having my fun, but, you know, as a professional woman, I do want somebody that I could potentially partner with and build with. And this, the dating scene out here is trash, and I'm out here, so... Where are you in D.C.? Yeah, I'm in the D.C. area. You know, D.C. is like my second home. Shout out to D.C., shout out to Southeast. My best friend, Ja'Parker Jones, was killed in Southeast. She's a trans woman. Mm -hmm. And the birth certificate law, the Ja'Parker Jones Act, allowing uh, trans women to get their gender marker changed on birth certificates and stuff, was instituted by myself and Ja'Parker's mom. And everyone kind of came together and was like, we don't know who killed her. We just know it was a guy who wanted to talk to her. She was at the bus stop by Southeast. And he came and stuck a knife in her head. 
you know, and the guy just walks scotch-free. So we end up implementing that law. So I, DC is like, when I got my job at 135th, she died the next week. And I had to leave the job when I first started to go to her funeral. So when I say DC is like my second home, when I say I wake up thinking about steak and cheese egg rolls, and my, I wake up thinking about that. So, you know, I was just actually in DC for a funeral. Um, Maybe like, what? Back in June, July, May, it was one of those. Um, but for the single girls, it's about 250 emails from applicants. And that's how I know you, you say like people hating, people not hating. Baby, I, I personally try not to go through the emails because one of my casting associates, shout out to Aubrey, she is in Texas and she's a trans girl and she's helping me with casting. So I was going to just like forward her the emails like, girl, because I, I, I was nosy. I did pee. Because I try not to be biased to stuff because I don't want to be biased to who I think need love, who I think is prettier. I just want the good stories. Like, I want right. to hear why you haven't found love. And if you were vixen and you applying, that's a problem, girl. I'm looking to see the, the regular professional girls just trying to have but a normal you, you know that's a that's a conversation that we have to have in media because now <laughs> that trans women are getting so much visibility in the media space i'm noticing that it's only a certain type of particularly with black trans women or trans women of color it's only a certain type of trans woman like you have to be like that that sexy vixen, maybe I'm an escort, maybe I'm not type of aesthetic. And don't get me wrong, if I want to play in the waters, I can play in those waters too. But that's not my everyday life. And especially for people that men that are trying to date me, I don't want to give that illusion that that's what I give every day. Like I'm a very, like I'm a very up by six in the and not to say that I don't have fun, but um I just want to, as I get older and as I get more deeper into my career, I always want to, I want to portray a realistic image of myself and for media consumption, I want to see narratives that are of the everyday trans woman that exists, that's going up to work, that's not, that's not trying to be a celebrity, that's not an activist, just the every, the plus size girl, the dark skin girl, like, I, you know, I want to, I want to make sure that in our quest for trans visibility that we too are not falling into the same tropes of white supremacy and privileging like thin bodied or that coke bottle everybody ain't shaped like that no and what i learned even when i was trying to get those surgeries these men like these men like they like them shapes but men will take whatever they can get as long as you got a hole and I'm going to tell you this, too, about men, right? So I have a lot of insecurities, like my butt, my butt too flat or my rolls is too big. And I do plan on having body reconstruction. But this is when I feel I wanted to do it after I became a wife. That's when I will go and get my body reconstructed for the pleasure of my husband and not for the fantasy of men who are automatically. And I keep telling my fiance, if I would have got my body done five years before I met you, we wouldn't be together. Because my mind will be so caught up on me feeling like I'm that girl that I would miss out on love. And that's what I'm seeing in a lot of these girl. I mean, you would think I went through this casting list and I was just shocked. But it's not showing them girls look good. And I'm not going to hate them. No, I know they look good, but they don't need no help finding love looking like that. 
I want the girls who are the this, this is my thing about trans visibility. I'm just gonna be very clear. Um I I used to have a problem with the girls that do sex work. I'm gonna be I'm just gonna be honest. I don't know how to lie on chili coat. I used to be bothered by it because I was caught up in the stereotype that I was a sex worker. And a lot of the heterosexual community used to automatically be like, oh, that's the path you're going in, because that is the conversation. Even in depictions of uh, trans stories and trans visibility like Pose, they do reference to the girls starting off in that category. And some people don't get past girls using to be sex workers. You could used to be a stripper, but for you that used to be a prostitute, it's a problem. And if you're trans, oh my God, you tricking men. So I used to be one of the girls that felt like, y'all are out here making a lot of money. I'm sleeping in my car trying to start a career. None of y'all are helping me. I've been offered to go on tours with these girls. Some of the popular girls have offered me to go on tour because they say you're all natural and we always have clients that want natural fish. Because yeah, the girls look like how they look, but a lot of men like natural girls too. And a lot of these girls naturally don't add up to the BBW effect that a lot of trans girls have. Because we don't need to do all that. I want my body to represent how my weight loss has gone. I want my body to represent how I want to feel in clothes without wearing shapers. I'm not getting my body done to prove a point. And a lot of these girls have capitalized on the sex market or the sex work market by using that money to enhance their look opposed to using that money to create longevity and wealth so they can stop doing what they're doing. And it kind of becomes like, all right, you get your boobs done, I'm going to charge you an extra 500 because my boobs was 5000 All right, you get your butt done, I'm going to charge you an extra 1000 I'm a premium girl. All right, you get your face done, honey, I'm super premium. I only take 2000 a night. It goes up. It's marketing. So I used to always be like, uh-uh, no, y'all don't need no help. Y'all have all the attention. You have the fat ass. You have this. You should be able to find a man. That's why you did it, right? It's the girls that didn't go in the sex work route. Not saying I'm picking and choosing, but a lot of them are overlooked. I'm overlooked. I am. I've had girls tell me, hurry up and get your body done. Even when I was single, you'll never find a man until you get your body and your face done. I'm sorry, are you calling me ugly? And I used to ask them, do you think I still look like a man? Well, no, but you could do this. You could do that. You could, you know, get, and I'm just like, but girl, you have to do what to get yours. I want to work hard to get mine and I want to have a reason to get it. I don't yeah, want to get it for, you know. So when I, when I was going through the casting process, I saw a lot of normal trans women, but a lot of them lacked confidence. And I, I, it kind of goes back to me now even looking at another show to create that will help some of these girls find their voice or find their confidence. Because what happens is the new generation is coming up and not everybody's going to have the same mentality as some of the girls who could go set up for OnlyFans and make thousands of dollars from their body. The, the shade is we're so visible and it's so normalized now that a lot of these newer transitioners are able to bypass the trauma because it's so easy. Like you talk to some of these girls that are 20, they don't know shit about the stroll. They don't know shit about tricking. They don't know nothing about nothing. No, they don't. And I, in my mind, I'm looking for 
the next the woman next door who has a career who makes six figures or on her way to making six figures she drives a nice car she lives in a home you know what i'm saying and she or an apartment or whatever and the only thing that's missing from her life even in the fact of her being trans is love and those are the stories whether you look like a vixen or whether you look like a grandma those are the stories that i'm looking for i want to be able to look at these trans girls and say you didn't have to put on makeup to feel like your beautiful self. This is naturally who you are. And, you know, I used to have a, a big thing about wearing makeup and not wearing makeup. I've been, I've been up all day. So this is me like from this morning. Cause you know, I'd be around the Caucasian people and the child, you got to put a little paint on your face. Um, <laughs> I, only because they always trying to take a picture and right, I, I don't right. take a picture, Watch girl. Things. And I look, girl, I look like, it's like no, honey, we have to produce this. <laughs> we got to, yeah. Yeah, you can't, no, you can't. <laughs> So, they love a candy So, but I say that to, you know, even say like, there are certain things that I'm looking for because, you know, I'm going off of what issues I had. Like, Chanel, what issues did you have when you met your fiance? Well, I was afraid to take my makeup off for like the first year. Even, even though he saw me without my beard, I still had makeup. Uh, I was afraid to wear a bonnet. You know, I was afraid to fart. You know, I was afraid to do anything that r reminiscent of masculinity for him to just be turned off. And it just so happens that God gave me the boy version of me. He did. He gave me the boy version of me because nothing I do bothers him. Nothing. I mean, even my voice. When I try to talk in my higher pitch voice that the vocal therapist teach you when you want your estrogen, he hates that. And he's like, it's not you. I, you know, I don't. And he's from Jersey. So in his mind, he was like, you know, I, like. Oh, his aunties, when I talk to his aunties and stuff, yo, they sound like, they sound close to me. I sound a little more feminine than they do, you know? And, but mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like the up north, his mom had a raspy voice, you know? So I'm like, God, I don't know what you did, but that was one of that was the insecurity. Then it was my weight. That was another big insecurity because people don't realize that the hormone therapy, you gain weight and you eat like a pregnant woman and you basically blow up like a pregnant woman, you know, and you have to, you have to learn nutritions and diets and you have to, cause it's just a different process. So, you know, I say, I, I say all that to say, you know, for these shows, I am looking for authentic visibility. And if I'm going to be a pioneer in creating content that involve trans individuals I'm going to make sure that I do not perplex the agenda that has, that has already been situated and subtle in the world of trans entertainment. And all. no, 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 no. I want real. I want raw. If a girl ain't never had plastic surgery before, but she lived her life authentically as a woman, she's medically transitioning. She doesn't want to look for a man that she could poke in the butt. No shade to the girls who poke their men's in the booty. But I'm one of those girls to be like, nobody should know that. You, yeah, every, I don't yeah everything to, is not for everybody. No, nobody should know that. I personally found a man who's not into that. Thank God I was never into that because I want my SRS. But there are a lot of girls who will tell you straight up, yeah, girl, I only date butch queens because I like how they, you know, they, they talk like they're dudes. And I'm like, there's an etiquette here that you have to understand when you're trying to find a real man who wants a wise. If you define a man who likes what you like, he don't want to hear you talking about getting head or, you know, get, he don't want to hear that. He just don't like, 
it's like a mental block or a barrier. And I'm again, I'm not taking away because I have a lot of trans friends who are in the sex work industry and they have boyfriends and their boyfriends are okay with them, you know, going into another room and taking a client while they're in there. That's not, that's unconventional, but I feel like that further pushes the narrative of why society likes to collectively call us disruptive, say that we're trying to steal their men or say, no, it's not that because that's the men come calling. As you said, men don't care about what you look like. They, they, they don't care about what you look like. I, it, you know, but you know, then it comes to a point where is a man capable of falling in love with your heart? And are you capable of protecting that heart? And, and that's also, what a lot. As a trans person, have you have you done enough work to work through your trauma to be able to receive it? Because it, it it gets to a point where it can't be. Even though it is fucked up for us, and the men treat us like shit, sometimes you have to get to the point where it's like, okay, what am I? What am I bringing to the table? Um. So with my fiance, you know, there are a lot of different differences when it comes between me and him, just my, I have a career. He more so has a job. He didn't really care to go to college and do all the other stuff, but he's not broke. He doesn't, he's not in the street selling drugs. I, he makes an honest living. I think the thing that I had to do is because I had been so fiercely independent and because I had basically gone through the, the storm by myself and now I'm, I'm out on the other side. I literally thought for the first year that my fiance was just trying to finesse me. Like, and that's the energy that I move with. Like, you know, I have savings, I have stocks, I have bonds, you know, I have specific things that I've worked hard for. You know, I have my agency, I have my, I have a lot. And a man will take advantage of that if they feel like they could see your vulnerability from your past. So for a long time, I wasn't vulnerable with him. I just, I'm like, we're friends. And that's all it's going to be. We're friends. I made him wait to have sex with me. I made him wait to come to my home. And he's not used to that. He says, you're the first person that has ever. And he's been with different trans girls, all types of stuff. And, you know, none of that before me had nothing to do with me. But he said, you're the first trans girl that made me wait. And he was like, you know, I don't been with females. He's never had a trans girlfriend. He's had female girlfriends. And he's like, even in those relationships with cis women, I felt like all they really wanted was me was wanted for me was sex. Like I wasn't worth anything else. They didn't push me to a next part of my life. They were comfortable with me working the job, the dead end job I was working, not seeing my son. They were comfortable. Baby, I made him very uncomfortable being around me. And I think the uncomfortability created friction in our relationship. But I also feel like we're both not runners. We're not we're not. I'm not going to run. I'll threaten to leave. He'll threaten to leave, but it's like we both have this realization, like, can we just talk? Because this is stupid. And when we sit and talk, it's like a realization of, damn, we have miscommunication issues. So we took two years to build our communication. This was year one, two years to build our communication. He cheated on me. We broke up. Well, you know, I have anything you could do. I could do mentality. So if you cheat, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to break up with you. And I'm not going to feel bad about it because I got my revenge. People are normally mad when they find out they man cheated on them because they've been fantasizing about some other penis that they can't go and get. Please blur it out. <laughs> so I feel like my, I feel like if you are a trans woman, you have to be okay with men doing what men do because biologically you still understand 
the process of a man, which is a gift. It is a gift that to understand how men think, even if you don't identify. There was a point in your life where you still were told that you were a little boy and you still saw little boy things, regardless of how you felt on the inside. So you have to relate. So, you know, most females are emotional and I'm just like, I'm emotional, but I'm going to cheat on you first because I want my emotions to be based on your distrust and not me doing something because I saw it because monkey see monkey do. And we went through that. We broke up. Two months later, came back. He was a different person. Cheated again. Went through that. Broke up. I, I cheated too. Bam. And I was fine. I wasn't heart. I mean, yeah, I was heartbroken. But I, girl, I was heartbroken crying. But I had another man in my house the next day. So it wasn't <laughs> like I'm heartbroken. And uh, no, I'm like, I'm a bad bitch. And I can get any man I really want to. Like, that, that was my mind. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't have that confidence on the inside. I'm a trans girl. You just know how to, you just know what men want. And you know how to present yourself. And that's what I did. And, you know, I had guys in the NBA that I was close to. I had guys in the NFL that I was close to. And I'm not going to say whether or not it was sexually or not, but I was close to them. And we grew a bond to the point where he started to see, she don't need me for nothing. So I was like, bye. And he thought, I mean, I guess men think that when you break up with them or they cheat on you, you just supposed to change. No, nigga. Anything you could do, I could do better. I could do anything better than you. If you say no, I can't, I'm going to say yes, I can. And that's what happened. And after like three different cycles, it was like he went on the radio and came out. And for me, it was like, what are you doing? And then he proposed. And I was like, what are you doing? Then he wanted to have a public wedding where I wanted to go to the courthouse. And I'm like, what the, what are you doing? And he was just like, I can't half step how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, he's like, I, I understand now why there are a lot of men who don't have relationships with trans women. He said, because a lot of trans women are not patient. They're not caring. They're not kind. They're really fiercely independent. So any little thing that triggers a past memory, they're ready to throw in the towel. Whereas I am more on the intellectual, emotional, and psychological level of why a man did something. And instead of kicking him to the curb, I wanna, I wanna understand the reason. Because if you understand the reason, you can really sit to yourself and say, damn, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, or he just don't know how to control his corniness, or he just doesn't know what it is to be in a relationship with a powerful, strong black woman. You know, so I want, I want people to know that I am unbiased when it comes to certain things. And I want people with trauma to apply to be on this show because they're the ones who are gonna essentially learn the most about themselves throughout the process. And I think that for me, my idea is to provoke the collective. That is my slogan of my production company. We are provoking the collective. I could do ensemble TV shows like Encore and I could do that. I actually have a show just like that that I'm developing. I could do any one of these ensemble casts. Mm-hmm. But is it going to provoke the collective of people who are going to look at these group of individuals and really understand what they're going through? So instead of just picking people, I essentially want to open up the arena for people who have been through trauma, hopefully to pair them with a guy who knows how to deal with trauma in a way where they soften up a little bit and allow themselves to be loved. 
because I think a lot of the trans community, we are taught to love ourselves to a point of no return because we're not expecting anybody else to love us. So you have a man who could potentially break our heart, come into our life and basically set us up to be ideas of what it looks like for someone to hurt us. And, you know, I, I want to kind of expound a little bit, you know, stronger when it comes to the trans community. So the submissions I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of vixens. Oh, I got, oh, the vixens are in. Girl, when I tell you, I was like, you looking for love, right? You was just supposed to pussy on your page. Girl, what you look so I, girl, I, you, I, you, I, just, I you just you just released the OnlyFans video this morning. Girl, why are you just promoting your um your new day? Oh, like, no, you sex love? workers need love too. Sex workers they need they love. They do. No, no. I, I, and I I I you know I have been reading a lot of their profiles, and you know I had to I had a teachable moment myself when I had to deal with a client who was a sex worker, it was a client from a TV show that I was working on, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And she was a trans girl. And she actually came and lived in my house. And I could just, I could say her name because she talked about her, her story openly. Mia Ryan from the TV show, Houston Beauty. Um, she was one of my clients. I got her to move from Texas because I was trying to rescue her from that sex world. So I was like, girl, move to Texas, forget the escorting, come live with me. And I saw firsthand like the ends that I saw it and I, it broke my heart to see that although they put on such a brave face of wanting to be out here making this money, it's really a sacrifice of emotional everything. And one thing that the people, um, no, let me see this. Yeah, that's, hold on, that's fine. I'm sorry, he, he's in the grocery store picking up some olive oil. Um, or <laughs> hold on, I'm a poet. I'm going to pause it. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Uh, he sent me pictures. Is this it? Um, <laughs> you know, so, I, you know, I, I want to highlight, but I, I, I'm also developing a TV show and I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm developing a TV show and essentially this TV show is going to focus on the life and basically the in-depth life of sex workers. Um, I have several production companies who are willing to take a risk on me and trust my storytelling process because although it's about sex work, I want to showcase what they don't do when they're not having sex. And then the sex work is going to be a part of it. But the conundrum is they have to be willing to talk to like a sex work advocate who is basically trying to pull people from that at the end of it. Like, so it's like almost like an intervention, but it's almost like, we want to show them in the best possible light, but we also want to shed light that, you know, this is not something that you have to do forever, especially the girls. And I'm realizing a lot of the sex work girls, they are really struggling with deep rooted mental issues and have no help for it. And they literally, it's like a routine, book a hotel, post an ad, wait for the call. And then if I get killed tonight, oh, well, so be it. Let's talk about all the trans murders. Let's talk about the, 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 the trans murders that have been taken at the hands of Black men who nine times out of 10 was trying to solicit sex from these beautiful Black trans women. And these women are not what the community calls clocked women. These are beautiful, Black, passable trans women. So I want, there's just so much. That, let me tell you this right now. My brain is endless. And as long as I have a footing in this Hollywood machine, 
or I'm going to channel and push every piece of trans content I could find. And that is the objective is to penetrate the market. And the only reason it hasn't been penetrated before is because no one has been in the position that I'm in, not even Laverne Cox. And that's no shade. Laverne Cox is the Hollywood machine. She is the Hollywood standard of what trans is. And I am the urban standard of what trans is. Even if I got to Hollywood, I don't think I could ever get rid of my realness. I don't think I, because I think people don't relate to that. And I see so many trans girls not relating to Laverne Cox. And I'm just like, well, there's a reason there's a disconnect, which should not be a disconnect. You should feel an immediate sisterhood, but there's a disconnect. So I looked at that and said, this is a niche in the market. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take advantage. And I'm grateful. I, I promise you, I'm so grateful. It's going to take time. I say within the next five years, you know, there should at least be up to five programs with trans visibility. And I'm also doing something else where I want to focus on key people in communities that hold professional titles that don't get any type of recognition, i.e. Miss Brianna Jenkins. Um, you know what I'm saying? These stories need well, to girl, be... Well, girl, I might need to be on that dating show, girl, because I, I... Well, girl, I, come on. I mean, yes, I think I'm, I'm, you... I, I, might, think, I might have to submit an application. And, I, think I, you know, be a, I think you I'm, would be I'm, a great... I'm, I'm, and I've been talking about this on the podcast the last couple of episodes. Like, I'm doing the work to get myself soft so that I can entertain love and I can be elastic enough to just play around and let you know let the masculine energy come in and i can just play with it and it doesn't have to when be you this. say when you say i'm getting myself soft could you elaborate on that statement um just working through my 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 trauma just like working through my because i don't got you i don't want to be oh i'm professional and i you know like trying to create balance because you know i've been through a lot i've been through a lot of trauma with men a lot of it has to do with working through my daddy issues that have shown up in men that I choose, men that are emotionally unavailable, men who are distant, and why I have kept on choosing those type of men. But I'm I'm now at a place where I, you know, my career and everything is going nice, and now I'm ready to date. Now, I'm not ready to jump into a relationship but if the right situation or if the right person presents themselves and they are consistent they, and they are impeccable with their word i have no choice but to know because that's what i'm you know that's you know that's the type of inner especially with me as a um as a powerful woman um um and just being open um it's a, it's a lot of men putting their bids in but nobody i'm looking for like that consistency I'm looking for somebody that's consistent. And you know, I'm I'm open. I'm open. I I I love men. I love men. I'm not even going to sit up here. And now that I'm on this professional level, I'm exposed to like a different type of type of man. Mm-hmm. That I And you know, I I used to always think I wanted a professional man until I realized that professional men have way more stip- men who are just openly trans attracted have way more stipulations than men who are attracted but not formed like my fiance i love the fact that he was trans attracted but he wasn't in the community so i had to kind of guide him and it's like you know he kind of started paying attention to stuff he's like i see what you're talking about see this a lot of guys who are already trans attracted they've already been through dating and there's a reason why they can't find love 
right. feel like if you're, I feel like if you're a trans woman and you meet a man who's willing to date you and he's never dated another trans woman before, that's the one. That is how. I, I, that is how you know. I honestly feel because because I'm in an arena where the men, especially the black professional men, I I really feel like whoever my soulmate is, is going to be somebody that I'm either going to be his first or his second, because I see first, it's always the response when people meet me, nine times out of 10, they don't know. And then when they find out, it's like, they curiosity, they just, they're disarmed, but then they're gagging because I don't fit the stereotype of, it's always, you don't, you don't give me what a trans woman, what a TS is, whatever word they give. But then once they see how personal who I am and how regular I am, I think it piques their curiosity that that we could fit into each other's world. So you I, took I, the you took the statement right out of my mouth. Yeah. So I think that's, it's that's, that's how I was with. That's how it was with me and my fiance. Like. I'm not going to chase you and I don't need you for anything. And that was a turn on because he's used to girls chasing it. And I'm like, I'm not going to, I don't need money from you. I'm not yeah. going to blackmail you. I don't need you for anything other than, and I told him the only materialistic thing I've ever asked him for was my snacks. <laughs> Every That's the only thing I've asked him was my sex because only thing I expect from you is honesty, loyalty, trust integrity, love, respect, honor, those things that you can get for free. You just have to be willing to learn what the properties of those things hold. I don't care about how much money you make because I could probably make more. I don't care about anything else other than the things that do not cost anything, which means that if you are going to be in this relationship, I am giving you a free card to do everything in this realm that does not include you spending all your money. So that's what that's that's that is really the that's, stereotype. That's usually how men men get rewarded for being fine. And I'm so blessed that I'm in a position where I'm able to live well and support myself. So if you're stepping in, you gotta be a good person. You have you have to do other things besides money to make my life easier. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do those things with, like, we could mess around, but we're not going to be a good, like, and I'm going to tell you up front that I, I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste your time because I'm, I'm not going to fit your expectations and you're not going to fit mine. And that's okay. And that's, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the content is coming and in this process right now, I'm just trying to be, I'm, I'm slow and steady rinse the race with me. And I've been slow and steady for 10 years. So now I'm asserting, asserting my resources and I I've I can't be more than God. I just God is good to me. And I did not, this was a leap of faith going into production and especially being targeted, being tar- targeting development of trans content. Not every show is gonna get picked up, but every show that I have created has been for the betterment of the trans community. And it's also been an educational tool for the heterosexual community, which is what they need. So hopefully all of them are picked up and there are they come to air. Um, I feel like they will. And I, but I feel like for right now, I'm going one at a time because I'm going to tell you right now. It's a lot. Oh, well you go, let me tell you something about me. 
people always don't expect me to be so professional because I'm such a goofball. Like, I'm so goofy. So a lot of the times I go into a meeting and they'll be like, okay, girl, what is she? It's always like an eye roll, literally, until I bust out the presentation. And they're like, oh my God, we love it. We just, we love it, Chanel. And I'm like, I know you're going to love it. Like, you know, so I've, I've, I've come to a place where I'm just like, I know my talent. I know my gift. I know my power. And even though the road is going to be interesting and rocky and long, it's going to just, it's up from here. Like my first project coming out of the gate is Casey Anthony. Like, Get yeah, out bro, of that, here. yeah, that's that's a big deal because that's I, I, major. I remember the Casey Anthony trial. I, I definitely remember that trial, and you know she's she's been cooling off, but as soon as it comes out, people are going to be on that because it's ten years. Ten years. The Shade Room did something the other day, and they was like naming the top most infamous trials of the century, and she was slide number two it was OJ Casey. So I am happy to be in the space where. You know, I came in with powerful property. And I always say, honey, your intellectual property is important, but your but your property of power are the things that people can't say no to. And the fact that I was able to get a deal structured and work with these amazing, you know, uh, uh, Emmy-nominated producer, Tamara Simmons. And these are people that I used to work with in the PR world. So it's kind of like, girl, you here? Like, girl, let's get yes. money. Like, so it's like a girl, it's about time. And, um, you know, I've been offered maybe 13 other projects since I, since I talked about lots of my production company. So I'm just looking at them with, you know, with, a, with my fine tooth comb. I'm calling my agent. Well, the agent that's entering, he's interim right now until uh, I find like a full time. You think I should do this? That's, that's my thing. You think I should do this? Because, honey, I want it all. You want me to act a little bit? I don't know if I can play no roles, but if you want me to play myself, I can. You know, I'm I'm taking everything, everything. I always say, I, I, I you reap the harvest, God promised you. Everybody reaps the harvest that is promised to them. You just have to plant the seeds. And my 10-year harvest is coming. And, you know, I used to be so afraid to talk about this stuff because I'm like, I don't want to jinx it. You know, don't talk about it because... You know, the devil going to try to take it away. I used to be like that. And now I can confidently sit here and say, you're entering the entertainment industry with a major project. You have about 13 other projects that are in rotation. You're developing every single day. You're coming up with new ideas. You're talking to A-list producers. You're talking to major production companies. And when that starts to happen, you really have to just sit back and not even, you know, have a time to reflect because you're like, baby, I'm, an, I'm the newbie. I'm the new girl on the block. So the target is on me. And I'm a trans girl that's black and a little crazy. Girl, this producer called me and said, um, oh, Miss Hudson, I, you know, we've heard stories. I said, what kind of stories? Well, we know you like your weed. Mm-hmm. Would you want, you want me to lie? I, I smoke weed. I don't live in a state that it's legal, but you don't know that. So yes, I smoke weed. And you know, I'm just one of those people. I'm just like, be yourself, be authentic. But I also have the right people in place, the right attorneys, the right agents, because they're the ones who really talk for you. I don't have to, I, at this point, I don't have to worry about being cookie cutter anymore, which is the greatest gift. It's just allowing people to do for me what I've done for people for 10 years. And kind of like me sitting in the talent seat and it's like kind of scary, but at the same time, it's still me knowing what I have to do to elevate. Cause I do want to stand on the level next to a Laverne Cox. I do. 
And I want to stand next to Janet Moss and I want to stand next to all of them because despite how the other community members may look at these people, the only reason they have not put into place some of the stories that I'm talking about is because they have been on a high level for so long. And I, though people may look at me as being on a high level, I still live mentally on a level of regular people. And right. I think that's important for me to, you know, I could have been an actor. I could have been an actress. I could have, you know, went on to reality television, but that would take away from me impacting the other voices that need to be heard. So I am grateful for the position that I'm in now. And, you know, that's all I mean. That's, that's, that's what, that's what I could say then. It doesn't come with all the coins that people think it comes. Sometimes you got to wait six months for a coin, but when the coin comes, it's a blessing. But sometimes that's just, you got to wait and, you know, you have to suck it out and you have to borrow from money from people. And, you know, when people believe in you, they'll never ask you about money because when you borrow money from a person, nine times out of 10, it's a gift, especially from rich people. You know, when you have a lot of rich colleagues that have been doing this for 10 years and you'd be like, girl, I need, you know, two or three, that's nothing to them. Although I don't do it, it's good to know that it's there. But I want to get to that point where, you know, ultimately I want to open up a safe house for sex workers to transition out of sex work. Because although there's a lot of them, a lot of these girls making a premium, a lot of these girls are not. Yeah, every yeah, everybody is not balling out like that. Everybody, no, even everybody. even the even the prettier girls, it's not. My fiance wants wants to open up a safe house for men for men who are in that coming out stage of accepting who they are. Because what happens is you see as you see a lot of the trans attracted men that have come out have committed suicide. You see that. So you know when when my fiance's baby's mother outed him to his family for being with the trans person. I stayed up for four months watching him sleep. I wouldn't go to sleep until you woke up and went to work. I would not. And then sometimes I would just be up. I got insomnia. I would just stay up and I would work. And, you know, I had so much time on my hands. That's how I was able to develop so much stuff. But it was a fear of mine that if I went to sleep, he would just wake up and feel the world against him and kill himself. It was a big fear. And you know, when we got through that stage, it was just like, a, all right, so you're not going to kill yourself, right? And he, 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 he has been suicidal. I've been suicidal. So it was kind of like, this is going to break him. You know, our, we've been together. We were together for five years before anybody knew. So this is going to break him. And the fact that I've seen him just warp into this different version of a man to accommodate me and the things that I've had to go through and to deal with my anxiety. It's like, when I have anxiety now, he has anxiety. When I have depression, he has depression. That's how you know it's real love. Not based off of you know how affectionate they are, but based off of a person that's willing to see your transition, not judge you for it and help you to continue to transition. Because every day is a transition. When you're on estrogen, your mood changes every day. Things don't go the way you want them to go. Sometimes you just don't want to get out of bed because your body hurts. And to have someone who understands wholeheartedly and does not put this relationship in jeopardy as the man in this relationship, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for the other women. I'm so excited, especially for you, because you don't see too many, you know, excuse me, Esquires, darling. You don't see too many Esquires, darling. You don't <laughs> see too many of those, you know. So, you know, even for me, like, you would be like a priority match because you know, men want an equal partner. And a lot of the men that I have heard from, which is not a lot, maybe like 30 out of, you know, a lot. I'm going to start, 
I have to work on the trans attracted men some more. I'm going to have to go a little bit more grassroots with my marketing. I'm going to have to do like the whole POF route um, because it seems like, you know, guys are only comfortable telling you they want to have sex. So what I've been doing is I have been setting up profiles on Plenty of Fish and Tag and I use the prettiest girl, right? And the guys will hit me up like, and I normally wait for the guys to be like, I'm trying to get to know you a little bit more. My next question is, are you looking for love? If they say yes, they're a candidate. And I probably have found 10 different guys on Plenty of Fish who was like, what? Like, yo, please take me off this site. I'm really trying to settle down. So I'm I'm putting in a lot of research and development to make sure that my girls, whoever the, the ones are chosen, I think I want to start off with six. Because essentially for the single girls, it's you're, you're, for the single girls out there listening to this, listen, this show is a great casting, but there's a twist. There's a big plot twist. And um, I'm not going to tell nobody what the plot twist is. They just have to be ready to find love. There, there's a plot twist in it. They just have to be ready for love. If you're not ready for love, it doesn't matter what the twist is. You're gonna fa- you're gonna fail miserably. So this show is really for girls who are ready for love tomorrow and a family tomorrow and e- happily ever after tomorrow. That's that's the type of that's those are the girls I'm looking for. I don't want them. I'm gonna be like, oh, well, I want to date first. Uh uh-uh. uh. Are you willing to put? <coughs> excuse me are you willing to bet on love that and that's that's what it is you know i haven't it's a secret i'll, I'll tell you offline i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> well girl I ain't gonna say, i'm not gonna say i don't need no legal uh no legal uh papers coming to the house no so no I'll, I'll tell who, you what who there, knows? there is who knows? there's a I, plot twist it's a yeah, major I, plot twist that be, a lot I of people be. I may be one of the um, contestants. I may be one of the contestants. I re- if you if you send in an application, I'm going to text my coordinator and say, "Look for Mrs. Jenkins. Miss Jenkins Esquire is going to be sending you. Don't even ask questions. Just go ahead and pass out through to me." Um, but there, you know, it's a questionnaire. Everybody has to do a questionnaire. Everybody has to answer questions. Um, but it's going to be a very provoking show like you 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 have to be ready for it. if you're not ready for it, it's not you're not going to find love so it's it's you know yes mm-hmm. sis i could talk to you all day i just want to let you i want to let you know that i am so proud of you i'm so mm-hmm. thankful that you exist and that you are grounded in purpose and that you are doing your work i think what you have done it's been a benefit to the community, even the behind the scenes stuff that we don't know that you've played a part in. It's yeah. been a benefit to the community. And I really look forward to see how you not only expand your empire, we know that it's going to be successful, but how you're how you're going to be able to liberate other trans folks in our community, how you're going to be able to liberate trans the trans amorous men in our community who also need um to be uplifted. And I, I'm just thankful that you're still here, um, that you're still here, that you're still um, walking in purpose and that you didn't let other people's nose um, shake your confidence or mm-hmm. make you um, live in fear and live in bondage. Cause it, it's really hard to do, especially when it's coming from a mentor, um, somebody that 
somebody that you look up to, but you kind of have to buck up against them to create space for yourselves. And I I think that's the lesson that we can all learn is to trust yourself, trust your process and go at your own speed and go at your own rate and let, let your evolution be your evolution. Also, don't let your story, you know, take you away from the collective of everybody else's story because your story is your story. And essentially it's what makes you unique. I couldn't tell you five years ago that I thought that I had a story. That's how depressed I was. And that's how far in it I was. I was telling myself, I ain't worth shit until I realized, and I don't know what it is. It's like clicks in my brain, like, bitch, you are the shit. You just don't say it. So you know, for everyone that's listening that has like some type of, you know, fear of whatever, just wake up and tell yourself that you are the shit. And, you know, if you if you stumble that day, go to sleep, smoke a blunt, wake up and say that you're the shit again. And if you stumble again, you do that shit every day until you realize that you are the shit. And, you know, hopefully I can come back again. We talk, I talk a lot. Hopefully I can come back again. We can talk about the Morehouse College stuff because that's a whole different conversation. I'm also yeah. working on the I'm also working on an adaptation of the Mean Girls of Morehouse. So please send positive juju. I am praying that a deal comes through before the new year. But I have adapted the Mean Girls of Morehouse into a series. And it's a limited series. It's basically telling the story. Like all the stuff that people did not see with the Mean Girls of Morehouse. Why are there a mean? Why are you associating girls with mean and Morehouse and what? So I am, I have created a character list. I have created a, I have written a treatment. I have pitched it to several film companies and all of them want, all of them are like over the moon. So right now it's just like Chanel, namaste. So y'all say some juju, good juju out for me. I need to where, where can the people find you at Chanel? Well, the people can find me on Instagram. My Instagram's name is Publicist Mentality. That's how it sounds. Publicist Mentality, all one word, or just type in Chanel Hudson. Chanel like the purse, Hudson like the river. Um, on Facebook, the same Chanel Hudson. On Twitter, it's Chanel Hudson PR or something. But if you want to get in touch with me, the best way to get in touch with me, honestly, is on Instagram because you know you have the direct messages. Facebook be hiding my messages. And sometimes I'll be going into little active requests to see who be sending me the messages. But if you go on my Instagram, um, my number is in my contacts, my email's there. You know, I am here for the people. I am here to hear ideas. I am here to hear concepts. If you have a concept, if you have an idea, um, if you are a trans person just looking for uh, just someone to talk to or someone to, you know, have a conversation with, although I am, in the position that I am in, I will take time to talk to anybody that really needs or wants someone to talk to. So, you know, you have to be able to always give that back to people, no matter how busy you are, no matter what, you always have to make time to talk to the next generation of kids who are struggling 10 times worse than we're struggling today. So I think we come to the struggle to help other people through the struggle. So anybody out there wanna have a conversation, you know, or just talk or, you're going through depression, you're going through stuff, you want to know how to navigate through stuff. My background is in psychology. Um, so I'm always open to share some positive words or, you know, kiki with you to make you think about something else. I'm never too busy for that. It may take me some time now. 
Don't be getting mad if I don't get back to you right away. My, I wake up every day in my life to tell. So a good hell. So you know, if, if you, if, I, I'm sorry if you send me a message and I don't see it, don't don't hold me to it. But and when I do see it, I will I will effectively be on your nerves. So don't be mad when I get on your nerves too. When I be like, girl, you crying today? <laughs> you know so. I thank you so much, too. Thank you for opening up your platform to me. I um, This is like, you don't even know what's getting ready to happen in my career. So for me to like be able to sit here and just really speak with another Black trans woman of confidence um, and of integrity and of moral compass and of standard, um, this is like the beginning of a lot of things for me that you probably don't even know about because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm honored. I really am. Although I have a lot of stuff coming up for myself that in the press, this means more to me than any other interview that I could ever do in my career or that I've ever done thus far, because it is basically dialect between two trans women. And, it, you know, it's unheard, two professional trans women at that. It's unheard of. Um, it, we need more of it. So I am, you are my sister forever. Yes. You can call me. You know, I'm probably gonna be calling you for some legal stuff because I do want to get into the av- I want to get into the advocacy space, but I want to turn it into something in television. I don't know nothing about advocacy. I'm very honest. I know I know how to advocate, but the laws of advocacy, I'm I'm starting to. So, girl, we might have you as a contestant. I might have you as an attorney. I don't know. Either way, <laughs> you ain't gonna get rid of me, sis. Yes. No. We no. We are connected. And the next time I come to Elena. Or you come to DC, we definitely have to get oh, together. The next time I'm coming stuff. to DC, girl, we're going to Yum's and we are going to go right to Yum's and sit outside in the car like two old fat girls and eat Yum. <laughs> well, I'm going to eat the Yum's and you're going to look at me because you know, you the people in DC don't really like the DC food like that because they be like, girl, because it's every day for y'all. But right. every day I was in DC in June for five days, I ate Yum's every day. <laughs> Every day, I was like, "They're like Chanel. I don't live here. The Chinese food in Georgia is crap. Let me eat my five wings with French fries, my mumbo sauce. Let me eat my steak and cheese egg rolls. Let me drink my drink for five days, twice a day, because yeah. God is good and the steak rolls off forever." Um. So yes, I will. That will. I will hold you to that the next time I come. Mm-hmm. Yes. Y'all, thank y'all so much for listening to Box Number Five Soul Podcast, Brown Black Trans Woman Talk. And I I and the Lioness will be back here next week with a brand new episode. Until next time. Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Box Number Five Soul Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. And don't forget to become a patron on the Box Number 512 Patreon page, where we have all new exclusive content. And also, don't forget to follow us on our social media, on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. And also, become a subscriber on our YouTube page. Until next time, bye. Bye.